Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. Uh, yeah you want to give like just a general COA out of the gate? <laughs> Yes, this is a hot-button issue, guns, right now in this country, in the United States. It's a very tough topic, and we are here to talk about do guns change your behavior and studies that they've done on that. We are not advocating for guns or advocating for gun control. We are just presenting evidence that some people have presented. (laughs) Yeah. How's that? Well, we should say also that uh, I think some, especially people who are pro-gun, um, are, are they, I mean, your sensitivity might be a little, um, high right now. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying like you, this, this particular podcast may strike you as, as biased, even though it's not simply because the studies have found things like, you know, there are increased homicide rates and suicide rates associated with guns and things like that. Sure. So we're, again, we're just reporting some compiled body of work. Yeah. And we're presenting it unbi- in an unbiased manner. <laughs> Good job. Thanks, man. So um, we just kind of let the cat out of the bag. Yes. If you are into guns, if you are pro-gun, you will probably point out that you own guns for sport, you own guns for home protection. Yeah. Um, and you may point to a statistic that ownership of guns in the United States is higher than it ever has been at any point. And not necessarily coincidentally, the um, homicide rate has dropped since 1991. That's right. So there's a inverse correlation, you could say, between gun ownership in the United States and uh, just by number of guns. Yeah. And uh, the homicide rate. Yeah, which uh, gun advocates will say, you know, like give people more guns and there will be actual less violence because uh, if everyone is armed then there will be fewer people like invading your home because yeah. hey I know you got a gun in there that kind of thing right um now the other side people who are in favor of gun control would point out that uh yes the homicide rate has dropped um but there's actually fewer people who own guns than and ever before fewer uh households yes with guns but more the people that have guns have more guns. Right. And as that Mark sense. <laughs> yeah, as Mark Twain famously said, there are three types of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Sure. And this is a pretty good example of that. Like this is one statistic that can be looked at two different ways. Yeah. Like there's more guns in the United States than ever before and the homicide rate has dropped. There's also fewer people in the United States who own guns than ever before and the homicide rate has dropped. Right. It's just Fewer people owning more guns. Right. Um, and boy, you are dead on with the statistic thing in this, uh, topic because depending on how you want to research, you're going to find statistics to support your way of thinking, probably. Yeah. Um, so what we encourage people to do, you probably have your mind made up anyway on this issue. I doubt if a statistic is going to change anyone's mind, but go out and just look at all the non-biased research is what I say. Yeah. Don't go to the NRA and get your stats and don't go to 
whatever the NRA equivalent, anti-gun equivalent is, and get your stats. Try and get them from, like, unbiased sources. Uh, yeah, and one of the former um, unbiased sources that used to put out a lot of um, gun violence studies, unbiased, uh, you would imagine, is the CDC. Yeah. And the CDC <laughs> used to put out a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. There, there, And then there was a, uh, a dearth of it beginning in 1996, which I didn't know about this until today. Did I, you? No, I didn't. In 1996, the NRA successfully lobbied Congress to stop funding the CDC's work on gun violence. Yes. Um, and this is where it gets a little nitpicky with the wording. They didn't specifically say you can't research gun violence. Mm-hmm. What they did was they reduced the amount of funding by the exact dollar amount that they spent the previous year right. on research and uh, attached this quote to it uh, in the appropriations bill. None of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the CDC mm-hmm. may be used to advocate or promote gun control. So uh, pro-gun folks would say, you know, we never said they couldn't do any research. What we said was you can't do research that has findings that support gun control. So if the findings support gun control, you can't do that, basically. Right. And anything like any finding that showed that, you know, there's an increased risk of violence linked to guns, you could interpret under that sentence as advocating gun control. Yeah. And in uh, 2003, uh, the language was updated to include in whole or in part, which expanded things. And then in 2012, it expanded the restriction to all health and human service agencies. Although in January of this year, uh, President Obama has now called for funding specifically for, he had, a, I think, a 23-point memo yeah, those, of what he wanted to get through in, in terms of research. Yeah, those were the executive orders that he could carry out that had to do with gun control, basically. Yeah, $10 million bucks for additional research. Which is a lot more than they used to get. Yeah. It peaked in 1995 at $2.6 million. So throwing $10 million at this today, even adjusted for inflation, that's going to produce a lot more studies on um, gun violence for the CDC. And people, before you get worked up, this is research. They are saying we should do research on this. They're, they're basically framing it as a public health epidemic because people are dying. Yeah. And, hey, we study how violent or how uh, how automobiles kill people. Yeah. We study how alcohol and drugs kill people. We study how everything's kill, everything kills people yeah. except guns. Right. So we should start researching this just to get some current st- statistics on it. And if you want to get riled up about anything, get riled up about the idea that Congress banned scientific study. Yeah, period. Yeah. And you can basically, from the research I found, you can lay this at the feet of Bob Barr and Newt Gingrich, basically, the two representatives from Georgia. Newt Gingrich had almost as much power uh, as Clinton in 1996. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was pretty much who was responsible for this. Well, uh, Jay Dickey, the, the representative who sponsored the amendment uh, back then, has now recanted and said, you know what, he's no longer in office. But he wrote an editorial stating that, quote, scientific research should be conducted into preventing firearm injuries and that ways to prevent firearm deaths can be found without encroaching on the rights of legitimate gun owners. So basically he's come out and said, you know, we should research this stuff, not saying ban guns or go to people's houses and grab their guns. Yeah. But at the very least, we should do the research so we know what we're talking about. And so the American public can make 
their own informed decisions one way or the other, right? That's right. Okay, so uh, that's why there was a there's been a dearth of reliable statistics since 1996. Um, but CDC's not the only people carrying out um, this kind of research. Other people have who are independent of Congress for funding. Yeah, not a ton though, because there's not a lot of funding. Period. So it's pretty sad. Like I read this one article on um, that a lot of the people that did this. It's not like you can just pick any old researcher and say research gun violence. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have it. Like it has to be your specialty. Oh sure. And a lot of people have just don't do this anymore because of that ban. So yeah, it's sadly it's hard to find people qualified enough to even do it now. Yeah, I mean, no matter what it is, people go to where the money is, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, so the, the stuff that we do have though, the studies we do have, reliable studies, uh, that we do have pretty much across the board point to an increased risk of death if a gun's present. But before, I guess before we talk about that. Yeah. I think now's probably a good time for a message break. Okay. Let's talk about the, the, um, the weapon effect. Yeah. This is a, a very touchy subject as well. Um, in 1967, uh, these two dudes, Leonard Berkowitz and Anthony Lepage, um, did a little study where they brought people into a room, had um, the participants uh, antagonized, basically, by someone else, just to get them riled up. Mm-hmm. And then they left the room and were told that they could give them electric shocks. Some people had a gun in the room, on the table, and they said, don't worry about that. That's just here from a previous study. Some people had badminton rackets, and they said, don't worry about that from a previous study. Mm-hmm. And they found that just the presence of guns in the room caused people to shock uh, more and harder huh. at a higher voltage. Wow. So they bet the weapons effect, saying just the mere presence of a gun in the room, even when told to ignore it, increased um, agro behavior. Right. Basically. And there's, that's been backed up by other studies. There's one in 2006 that showed that, um, interacting with a gun actually increases the testosterone levels of men. Yeah, by 100%. Wow. That is a lot. That's a huge increase, right? Yep. Um, so this study basically, they, they said, here, play with this gun. And then, um, now we're going to, first they took a swab and tested the testosterone levels. Then they said, here, play with this gun. And uh, afterward, we're going to take another swab. But in the meantime, we're also going to let you put hot sauce in the water of somebody who's going to have to drink it. Yeah. And the the men who um, handled the gun and messed around with the gun for a while put um, far more hot sauce into the water than the men who didn't handle the gun. Yeah, three times as much hot sauce. Yeah. And uh, the same two previous guys, Berkowitz and Lepage, did a, another one that I found really interesting. Um they put a pickup truck in traffic with, um, well, different pickup trucks, some with guns in the rack and some without a gun rack at all, and made them sit at a traffic light that had turned green for 12 seconds mm-hmm. to see how people behind them responded. And surprisingly, people were more likely to honk their horns if there was a gun in the truck ahead of them, yeah. which they said that meant, see, the presence of a gun just yeah. makes people more aggressive. Whereas I was kind of like, ah, oh, that, that's sort of weird that they would be more aggressive towards someone with a gun when you didn't have one. Yeah. Well, it's almost like uh, possibly that the people interpret that as a threat, just the presence of a gun. Maybe. Someone else is flaunting to the rest of the world is, is just kind of a, some sort of veiled threat just by its very presence. We, um, we detect guns 
actually faster than we detect um, snakes, yeah. spiders. These are things called fear-relevant stimuli. And guns, fall, guns, syringes, they fall into this category as well. Yeah. And humans are hardwired evolutionarily to to be able to pick out a snake out of a landscape faster than, say, we can pick out like a woodchuck right. or a chipmunk or something like that because we know from eons of, of evolution yeah. that these things are very dangerous to us. Studies have found that we can pick guns out faster than we can pick snakes out. So some quick evolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very quick evolution. It's it's called um, the threat superiority effect, where we can we can identify threatening objects faster than non-threatening objects. And apparently, guns and syringes too, I think, are oh, really topping the list these days. Huh. Uh, they also found that um, drivers who have a gun in the car were significantly more likely to um, do things like make obscene gestures at other people. Twenty three percent compared to sixteen percent. Um, Follow too close aggressively, uh, 14% to 8%, or both, 6.3% to 2.8%. So, uh, and then they even found that even when guns weren't around, just the mere suggestion of aggressive words, as opposed to non-aggressive words like gun, uh, people were uh, more aggressive in these studies. So, you know, people, a lot of people have supported the weapons effect study and said, no, it's perfectly valid. And a lot of people have said, no, you know what? The weapons effect is BS, and that study is invalid. So um, which one is which one is right. larger? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Which uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think, as with all things, it depends on who you're talking to, you know? Yeah. I don't know if there's it's been broken down like that. Um, okay, so it seems to, there seems to be some sort of evidence, at least, that uh, there's the potential for... Increased aggression um, with the presence of a gun, right? There's also um, studies that show, and this is the one, uh, apparently, I don't know why people aren't talking about this more, especially um, with the gun debate that's going on now. Yeah. But if you want to talk about a correlation, talk about suicide and the presence of guns. Yeah, I think that's one that's pretty much not been refuted. No. Um, There were... uh, a lot of gun deaths in the U.S. in 2011. Um, 11,000 of them were homicides, and 19,766 were suicides, all with firearms. Yeah. So twice as many people took their own lives with a gun than took someone else's life. Yeah, and not only that, you um, in 1992, and again, I hate not having more recent <laughs> research, but it's not our fault that we can't point to a study from three years ago. Yeah. You know? Um, but a 1992 study by the CDC said that uh, if you have a gun in the home, you're five times more likely to commit suicide overall. And um, in 2003, there actually was another study that said access to a gun made someone more than three times more likely to commit suicide than without. Um, and 80 to 90% of people who shoot themselves succeed in dying, which... Well, that's why they think that the the correlation is so strong. That then, so that's for people who really want to end it, not the cry for help. Yeah, but you're probably not going to shoot yourself in, in the head if it's a cry for help. Right, but what the um, what what the people who are saying this is legitimate research are pointing to is that this is that suicide is frequently an impulsive act. Right, uh, and when you're in the midst of a crisis and you are um, 
you've decided to end it. Yeah. If you do it, if you try hanging or pills or uh, carbon monoxide or whatever, right. you are less likely to be successful than you are with a, a firearm. Right. And so the presence of a firearm in the house during that time of crisis increases your likelihood of committing suicide by a firearm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And, but also, Chuck, there there's another study that found that people who own a handgun and commit suicide are far more likely to use the handgun than another type of method. Oh, right. E- even though that's available to them as well. Right, right. Well, I guess, like I said, those people that probably really want to end it all. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the Israeli Defense Force found that uh, their suicide rate dropped 40% among its soldiers just by saying you can't take your weapons home this weekend. So they they banned them from taking their weapons home over the weekend. Suicide rate dropped by 40%. Yeah. Regardless where you stand on this issue, it has pretty much been proven that guns and suicide, there is a direct uh, correlation going on there. Yeah. Okay. Homicide? Shall we move on? Yes. Let's move on. Um, so... There's a 1992 study that found that um, family disputes that turned violent were three times more likely to result in death if the gun was present in the house. Um, and this was, uh, this was, there was another study by the CDC that found that homicides are about three times more likely for family members in a, a house where there's a gun. So yeah. two studies have found virtually the same thing. The presence of a gun, at least in the 90s, the swing in 90s, right. uh, having a gun in the house meant that each of the family members was three times more likely, apparently, to um, die by a homicide. Right. And that is the domestic dispute that gets out of hand. If a gun is around, then your chances are higher that it's going to be end in, in murder. Well, one said a, a family dispute that turns violent. Is you're three times more likely to result in death. The other one, the CDC one, I think was just plainly saying, oh, just having a gun in the house, you're three times right. more likely to die. Gotcha. Uh, by homicide. Right. Okay. I guess it's fair to point out though that most murder uh, murders don't happen at your home, unless. Yeah, you're a woman, a child, or elderly. So basically, yeah. if you're a um, average age man, you're you're less likely to be murdered in your house. Everybody else is more likely. Right. So, but if you were killed in your home, um, the vast majority are people who knew the perpetrator. Like, basically, the the cases of someone breaking into your house who you do not know and ending in death are are much lower than than uh, here it is right here. Thirty uh, percent, fewer than thirty percent of burglaries in the U.S. occur when someone's at home. Period. Mm-hmm. And and the seven percent where violence does occur. Uh, it's more likely to be someone you know. So 5% of all the crimes perpetrated by strangers occur, only 5% occur in the house. Gotcha. So you're basically what they're saying is the home is a pretty safe place by and large. Right. And so just having a gun that you keep at home, um, the, the studies then suggest actually increases your likelihood of you or someone you love who lives in that house killing one another rather than somebody coming into your house and you protecting yourself using right. that gun. Yeah, and they even uh, they went to the streets in, ni- in 2009 in Philadelphia and looked at 677 shootings mm-hmm. over a couple of years, and uh, they found that it, people that carry guns were four and a half times more likely to be shot and 4.2 times more likely to be killed. And I guess the thinking there is if you have a gun, you may just feel more 
aggressive or more um, likely to act rashly or put yourself in a bad part of town mm-hmm. because, hey, I've got this protection or to be aggressive because, you know, you've got the protection, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you And there's this really, really great article um, from 2010 that was in Harper's Magazine. It was in the August 2010 um, issue. It's called Happiness is a Worn Gun. Uh-huh. And it's this guy's like this basically his life carrying a gun and like just what it's like. It's just a really great look at what it's like to have a gun on you at all times and like what that means. Yeah. Um, he says you're in condition white, which is basically you're constantly on high alert because if you're carrying a gun, you have a sense of responsibility, not just for right. yourself, but you also need to protect everybody else. If somebody starts shooting or if there's a robbery or something like that, that's why you have a gun on you. So you feel a sense of, um, stewardship right. of just uh, other people, strangers in public. Well, sort of like you're the police all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and so you live in this thing, this, this state of called condition white where you're just, your threat response, your, your is constantly on at some level. Which gun control advocates, I'm sure, are all about condition white. Right. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for is people to be alert and armed. Yeah. Um, this guy, I believe, came to the conclusion that he was tired of living in condition white. It was just too exhausting. Yeah. And I think he stopped carrying, maybe. I don't remember how it ends. But um, it's a really great article. I would recommend anybody on either side of the of the um, issue to, yeah. to read that. Happiness is a worn gun in Harper's. I saw a dude in the grocery store the other day with a piece on his hip. Checking out in front of me, buying a six-pack of beer. Yeah. And it definitely, like, I don't care who you are. When someone walks in the room with a gun on their hip these days, it changes the mood. I'm not saying it makes things bad or good. I'm just saying it changes things. I think it probably always has. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I mean, uh, I I definitely see where people get divided on the issue. Because here in Atlanta, there's a lot of crime. You hear about a story where some dude went to carjack some guy. And the dude had a gun in his car and shot the guy. And yeah. now that guy's behind bars. I can see how people would be like, good. He stopped a criminal like a cop would have. Whereas, you know, cops generally investigate already happened crimes. Rarely does a cop like thwart a crime in progress. Mm-hmm. It's just right place, rhyme time, right time. It's so like random how that works out. Whereas if the citizens had the guns, they could do that themselves. So I can see how people get all up in arms and say, yeah, you know, there's a case of a person that defended themselves successfully, mm-hmm. and then the other person might say, yeah, but what about that guy whose son accidentally shoots himself in the house when the gun's out? Like, it's- Yeah, two separate four-year-olds yesterday accidentally killed two different people in two different states. Really? Yeah, uh, the wife of a sheriff's deputy was killed by a four-year-old at her house. Yeah, like there's with every story, or with no matter how you feel about it, you can pick cherry-pick a story exactly. to fit your your. Uh, beliefs. It's pretty, like, the issue is very, very far from clear cut. And it, it, yeah, it's just very hard to not see both sides. I, I agree with you. Um, there's a guy named David Hemingway that wrote an article called Risks and Benefits of a Gun in the Home mm-hmm. uh, for the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine in 2011. And this is a, a sort of a newer thing where they're starting to frame it, like I said, as a health issue. Like, right. when people are dying, you should look at it as a health issue. So he investigates it as such and um, came out on the side of the American Academy of Pediatrics who officially have said, do not have a gun in the home if you're a parent. Um, the, they've, they've, the result of this study, at least, 
from Hemingway says uh, the evidence is overwhelming that a gun in the house is more of a risk factor for completed suicide mm-hmm. uh, and general violence than the benefit uh, side. There are fewer studies um, that come out saying it's actual a benefit to have in the home. And Kennesaw, Georgia is a big mm-hmm. – uh, uh, people point to Kennesaw a lot because it very famously uh, had a law passed that uh, mandated that you have a gun in your home. Yeah. And people have always said, well, look in Kennesaw, crime has gone down. He says, Hemingway says that that is not true. And if you look at the evidence, it is not shown to decrease burglary reports at all. And also famously in Morton Grove, Illinois, there was a ban on handguns. And uh, he points out, Hemingway says a careful analysis points out that um, in Morton Grove, the banning of handguns actually followed, uh, was actually followed by a large, uh, significant decrease and burglary reports. So no one had guns, and there were fewer burglaries, which flies in the face of what Kennesaw was trying to do, saying guns in the household will prevent burglaries. So. Well, yeah, there's, um, and I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but there's a there's a pretty good stat. Um, like England has very, very strict gun control and very low homicide rates um, from guns. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people also point out, like, okay, well, if you don't have guns, you're still going to have knives, and people are still going to kill each other. But I think that um, if you are a uh, gun control advocate, you would point out that um, n- it's, it's kind of like the completed suicide thing. Right. Like, yeah, people are still going to try to kill themselves, but they might not be successful. And afterward, they might be glad that they weren't successful because their situation might improve. If you go to kill somebody in a fit of rage... And you have a gun, you're more likely to be successful than, say, with a knife or a baseball bat or something like that. Right. Um, and therefore, not being able to complete this homicide, uh, this situation may improve for both people. Yeah. But especially the one who's not killed. That's true. Um, all right. Well, that's guns. I hope uh, you guys made it through this one. Yeah. We're, I think we should do one on the NRA just to learn a little bit more about that organization and round this thing out. Sure. Um Okay, we'll look for that one in the future, I guess, huh? Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn more about guns, type that word into the uh, search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it'll bring up a bunch of stuff, uh, including how guns work. Uh, if I already said that whole spiel about the search bar, didn't I? Yeah. It means then, friends, it's now time for message break. Stuff you should uh, and Chuck... Take us out with some listener mail, huh? Yeah. Um, this is another Peace Corps email. And we've, we get a lot of these because we find that, A, we did one on the Peace Corps. But before that even, we got a lot from Peace Corps folks because I think they're world travelers who are curious and like to listen to things on the chicken bus. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to send you guys an email since I finally finished the long list of Stuff You Should Know podcasts that I downloaded to pass the time while riding on chicken buses throughout Ecuador. Uh, As a current Peace Corps volunteer in a gold-producing region of of the world and a former outfitter in Yellowstone National Park, I really enjoyed the podcasts on Peace Corps, coffee, gold, bison, geysers, and thoroughbreds. From what I know about these topics, you guys are pretty much spot on. Uh, And I'm also a bit of a plant nerd, so I really enjoyed the Randy Moss joke from the Moss episode. That was a good one. Well played. What I was really emailing about was to see if you guys would give a shout-out to my long-time friend, Catherine. Lifelong, even. She and I grew up in South Dakota together, 
We've been friends since kindergarten. Uh, even though we went to colleges across the country from each other, we have managed to remain close friends for the last 20 years. Unfortunately, due to being in the Peace Corps, was unable to make it back for her wedding and miss the opportunity to be her maid of honor. Although she doesn't have any hard feelings, I still haven't made that one up to her, and she would love it if you guys gave her a shout. Uh, she turned me on to the podcast. In fact, in saying uh, she enjoys listening to it on her own way to work, I have been hooked on it ever since. So thank you guys, Chuck and Josh and Jerry, for providing Catherine and I with another link in our friendship. That's awesome. Um, not to mention the fact that you provide me with weekly trivia facts that I plan on using on the 20-something bar scene when I move back to the States. Nice. So that is from Whitney, and hello, Catherine. And that's nice that you gave Whitney a break for not being your maid of honor. <laughs> yeah. She's in the Peace Corps, after all. Yeah. It's much better, bigger than your little wedding. Jeez. The Peace Corps? It's bigger than anybody's wedding. I'm sure Catherine would disagree <laughs> with you. But um, that was very nice. Who Who is the person who wrote in? Whitney. Whitney, that's right. Thanks, Whitney, for writing in. Um if you have a story that you want to share about how Chuck and I have brought you closer to somebody, we love those. Let us know all about it. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to uh, StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. You can join us at our home on the web. That is www.StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With 18,000 agents across the country who are ready to help you 24-7, 365. That's getting to a better state. 